again for listening to my podcast. Having a fun time exploring through all my many lives. I'm playing 1990s playlist. It's called Rediscover the 90s, curated by Amazon's music experts. The Fugees. I picked this time period of music because this is what happened from this time period that I'm about to describe to you. That will sound like it's from an entirely different person. Sitting on the indoor bleachers in a small gym, the melodies of happiness is a warm gun flowing into my ears like lukewarm wax. To this day, I am uncertain if it was real. The seasoned Midwestern adolescent inmates, for lack of a better term, congregated sitting on the front section to the right. And us, the inductees, for lack of a better term, sitting in the higher section and a bit to the left. I think they were playing gymnasium softball or maybe the blondest and sturdiest one of all just reminds me of softball looking back. With her shoulder length, naturally bleach blonde hair, blood, broad, blonde brows and chiseled features. She could have been a far- farmer's daughter's type from the Sandhills or maybe a white trash neglected granddaughter from Fremont or some other near city podunk Midwestern meth bath. She looked over at me exactly and said, rush, and then rotated her head back around like a woodland owl and went on to play, wait on the bleachers for her turn in whatever sport the gym liaison was teaching that day to keep us little bitches and thugs occupied while teaching us also a lesson in authority, comma, puke. Arriving there was almost a hopeful surprise, like finding a 20 at the gas station soaked in fumes just after watching the car before drive away. It had been the first day I, we had seen sunlight for most probably over a month, or so it seemed at the time. Honestly, without windows, it was pretty hard to tell. So leaving the detention center, the closest thing to a communist-esque block building I'd ever seen, and entering into a new spring day with sunlight and fluffy clouds, sit amongst fresh green grass, despite hurting the eyes a bit at first, drew out of me a long inhale and a hopeful exhale back out into the world of the living again. We had on our junior shackles, nothing really too junior about them, except for maybe size. Although I would imagine that in big kid jail, they would have petite little gals like me too, so maybe they are one size fits all. Who knows? I think there were six of us, but only one really stands out, Becky. The only other white girl in the joint who was fairly like me. Well, kind of. I mean, from an Italian family who had a successful roofing business. I didn't have that. But I was white. She had parents 
that came to see her every week, and she seemed as young and naive as I did. She was in for basically, I don't know, but she could speak some Spanish and had a set of friends who were Latino thug gang members. <laughs> Becky got shackled to me for the trip. The whole drive, we told each other scary stories about the new place we were going to, Geneva. As I saw it then, Geneva was a jail for girls, but not a jail jail, but kind of a jail disguised as a girl's home. I know that it was against the law to run away from there, and that if you did get caught running away from the rumor, or if you did get caught running away, the rumor was that you would be sent to the next step in the process for little female criminals like us. Though I was hardly a criminal, we were all just babies. In that Geneva-bound paddy wagon anyway, which would have been York, the ladies' pen, about an hour from Geneva. The six of us went turn by turn, telling the story of, quote, dot, 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 this one girl who was there, dot, 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 quotation marks. The tales were mostly of getting their asses beat down by the, quote, guards, being locked into rooms alone for days, and the creepy lesbians that worked there to get their rocks off by being surrounded by little femme fatale gang members day and night. The free-flowing conversation and the natural light facilitated happiness and freedom in the back of that paddy wagon, as we were all alone, just the six of us, laughing, scoffing, and making conversation. It was so enlivening, in fact, that Becky made the decision to slip us out of our cuffs. She spit on our wrists, and we slipped them off for about a half an hour, and we were the closest to free than we had been for a long time. In teenage years, it was wonderful. The sun, the freedom, the company, the drive through Nebraska, trying to get a view of someone you knew on the interstate through one of those punched out holes in the steel in the back of the wagon. Side note, I just got in trouble for running away and smoking pot. I wasn't actually a criminal. That's the whole sad part about it. I'm going back to the, let the letter now. Or story, I guess it is. I had been in long enough to have detoxed out of the meth, to have time to eat and put on a few pounds, gain some strength, and to kind of normalize out a pseudo-paranoid schizophrenic state into that of a person who understood my surroundings and accepted my fate. By the time we went to Geneva, fantasies of breaking out of the joint and making my way home, or better yet, somewhere new and foreign, via a trail through the golden cornfields dotted with abandoned bards and a neglected farm dog that would accompany me safely to sunny California, had all but subsided into a dull thump at the back of my will. We had slipped the cuffs back on the same way we had taken them off in a hurry once we could see the building in the distance we arrived and it was nothing like I thought it would be it was actually kind of beautiful an inward soft rotating c-shaped building set into a blue sky an infinite country the fresh neon green of Nebraska corn this building was on no city block if I remember right, there were even spring flowers planted into flower beds and boasted a steel flower towering into the sky with billowing flags of Nebraska and the USA. Our driver loaded us out, 
two by two and walked us into our new home for 30 days, despite the fact that my true heart's only desire was to reunite with my sociopath boyfriend and shoot up into oblivion, knowing into a knowingly sort, short and tragic life, this place would be fine for the time being. At least no one was there trying to kick my ass or steal my food anymore. There was light. There were plants. There were lockers, which meant there had to be school, and therefore books, and a very beautiful red-haired lady at the front desk checking us in in plain clothes. No uniform. This was acceptable for the time being. The red-haired lady let me in, and the others, cuff-free, down a long hallway and into an outdoor courtyard, and then across a field and into a new building, at which time we were separated. Ginger Beauty then brought me to her six-foot-tall, park-marked, over-permed and frosted Judith Light, over-testosteroned co-worker, who led me into a large, rectangular-shaped bathroom with nothing but showers, and then sinks across. This is when in the dream, the baby in the stroller started morphing into a pig, smiling and snorting and widening my eyes in disbelief. Judith the Great handed me a small paper pill cup, not the Dixie cup kind, but the foldy cheap terry kind of pink soap, ordered me to take off my clothes and turn on the shower and begin the process of what I now understand to be de-lousing. I was not loused, by the way. The water sprayed out really hard and not in the soothing kind of good water pressure kind of way, but in the way where it comes out of the shower head like a million razor blades burning my skin and tangling my waist-length golden hair. I got one tiny cup of pink hand soap and one tiny cup of shampoo, the lice-ridding kind, which did nothing to my hair but tangle it into a huge mat. The beast watched the whole time as I washed my little 17-year-old malnourished body as she coached me on how not to miss a section. This wasn't the first time I'd had a watched shower. I had one when I entered into the detention center. It was just that I didn't expect this. They knew I wasn't dirty. I came from the center. I wore the center's clothes that were washed and bleached seemingly daily. Maybe it was just the juxtaposition of the sun and the grass and the flower bed and the pretty redhead in plain clothes that made this delousing so much more heart-led waiting than before. The shower blew my tears off like a sandblaster, and with it went my everything, my spirit. Not this, not again. Please, not this. I feel it now as I write this story. You haven't felt humiliation until a gargantuan bitch is watching you take a hot shower, yelling at you to get that tiny cup of lice shampoo onto your scalp through your eight pounds of wet hair and telling me to make sure to not miss my areas. Not because it gets her off, but because no one needs a case of crabs creating a pandemic in the community.
After the shower ended, I was given some scrubs and taken across another field by another lady, an older lady. She took my clothes, the clothes I was taken in, my real clothes, and put them into a wispy plastic grocery sack. This was a tiny cottage-sized house or a very large insulated shack which probably, oh, with probably a small bathroom. The shack housed the lady and her little church lady perm and smoker's voice and more clothes than I have ever seen in one house. It was practically unreal. Stacks and stacks of jeans and t-shirts, all stacked in organized piles, probably separated by size. I will never know. My heart began to beat again as the notion that I would be living in real clothes again for 30 days, not a blue jumpsuit, became to flutter into my consciousness. I guess I stopped there. Dear woman who owns the church. <clears throat> Hello, my name is blankety blank blank, soon to be blank, my maiden name. I write to you on New Year's Day 2020 to ask you for your special consideration of my offer to buy the church. At the risk of sounding crazy, I feel it's my destiny to buy it and my daughter's destiny to live in it with me. Unless you have security cameras, you probably don't know how many times I've come to just look at it from the outside during the last spring, summer, and fall, and now also winter. Every time I've seen its little white bell tower from the highway, it's been a great relief to me during a year when relief, time, energy has been in the shortest supply in my almost 41 years on this earth. You see, four years ago, my husband and I adopted a three-year-old disabled girl from China. Her name is Shasha, and she picked that name herself. God was smiling on us, and my family was the most lucky and biggest blessed of all the families on earth. My daughter made my life complete, and finally my dream of being a mother was realized after many years of trying the old-fashioned way and feeling a failure. My daughter has never known a life without struggle. Being abandoned by her birth parents in a basket on a chi Chinese police station doorstep at approximately nine months of age with a literal hole in her heart and lungs filled with pneumonia. There was no note to speak of of her true identity or birth date. She has had a progressive scoliosis that hasn't given her lungs room to grow to normal size. She lived in a Chinese orphanage for more than two years until we've adopted her two days before Christmas in 2015. I came to realize that the pain of my not being able to get pregnant and the pain of her family loss and health problems were all a part of God's grand design, like pieces of a puzzle, which in retrospect is more beautiful than the old fashioned way and much more adventurous. 
We literally found each other from across more than one ocean. Destiny is so exciting and mysterious and filled with pain and also joy and wonder. Three years ago, we moved out to a home in the country with two large decks. We chose it because my daughter needs a walker to get around and the decks are so flat and easy on her wheels and she could safely play outside. And to be forthright, I craved privacy after having lived in the hospital with her for months at a time with people constantly in view. Even through the wee hours of the night as we slept, I just couldn't take living in the city where I could see my neighbors on all sides at any given time. When I had a moment to myself, which, if you have kids, you know is rare enough, even with an able child. At the time, we thought that her surgeons would be able to fix her terribly severe scoliosis and her two displaced hips. She was tiny and easy to carry, and she still is tiny, only 28 pounds and almost seven years old. And I am pathologically optimistic, so we thought, that it would only be a matter of time and prayers until she would be able to walk the stairs herself and be chasing around her classmates at school like all the other kids. As is the crux of the mystery of life, I've come to accept that over the last four years, my daughter will likely not be able to walk the stairs here or anywhere else, and that she will remain disabled. She will continue to struggle to do the things most abled kids do like chase her classmates at recess, and she will never be able to hide under the kitchen sink. But that's okay, because God made her just exactly who she is supposed to be. And to be fair, if she wasn't, I never would have found her in the first place. I guess you could say I'm a leap before you look type of gal. I have a tendency to follow my heart before all else, which has led me through many adventures and honestly to the very best things in life. Of that, I am sure. Of one thing I am positive in life, and that is that all things work together for good. While my daughter may never be able to run a marathon, her scoliosis must be treated regularly, surgically, as it is continually curving worse and worse and it's crushing her little lungs compromising her ability to breathe. She must travel out of state for her surgeries as no local surgeons are willing to wit are willing to spin the wheel of fortune. She must travel out of state for her surgeries. On our next stint, we will be in New York City of all the places on earth I've ever wa I've never wanted to live. And we will leave for the Big Apple in the third week of January. My intuition says this doctor could be the miracle worker we've prayed for. March 14th, 2020. It's 6.18 a.m. and I'm sitting on my front enclosed porch on the old school lawn chair that I bought, brought out last spring to sit on while I watched the rains and the storms. I just brought it back out this Monday, I think. I had it on the back deck all winter. 
It's funny, about two weeks ago, my daughter, Shisha, asked me, Mommy, why do they say that Friday the 13th was bad luck? I laughed because I'd often wondered that myself through the years and I've never understood its origin. I hadn't given it too much thought, really. Yesterday was Friday the 13th, 2020. I can't tell if it's really real or not yet. 30 states have closed down their schools for the next eight weeks. On Thursday the 12th, in the afternoon, it was announced that the College World Series was canceled. The College, <clears throat> the College World Series has been a part of Omaha since I can remember. My Uncle Jimmy got season tickets every year. The sun burns on the top of my thighs from sitting with my knees bent, feet resting on the stadium seat below me are burnt into my memory. I can still feel their hot hiss. It makes my head shake a little. They're canceling everything. The big basketball stuff, baseball, Broadway, all events over 250 people, all the parades are canceled, all of, of which there would have been many this weekend as it's the Saturday before St. Patrick's Day. Oh, eerie. And all the rivers should be running green today. That's crazy because that might be a year to the day of when I came back. Because St. Patrick's Day this year, my daughter, oh well, in 2021, that's when she went to the hospital, sick. And ended up intubated on a ventilator. Back to March 14th, 2020. It's been a very warm in the 60s and 70s all week and still chilly and sometimes to freezing at night. It's been a mild winter. I prayed hard for a mild winter. Last winter just about killed me in all the senses of the word. As a matter of fact, yesterday, whilst emergencies shopping amongst all the fellow doomsday preppers, I noticed that it was one year exactly from the date that I applied to the Nebraska State Patrol for a permit to purchase a firearm. Can you believe I did it? I want to have it melted. I gave it to my ex-husband. At any rate, here I am writing this a year later, so we know that I made it through that situation. This is now 6.37 a.m. on the third day of the lockdowns, March 14th, 2020. It's snowing now, and the trees are covered in a heavy, fluffy snow that won't last too long. This is the type of snow that could bring down a city easily if there were leaves yet on the trees. Thanks be to God, that's not the case. The Lord knows that if the country is shut down for two months, that it won't be too long till our pieces of modern day conveniences go down the proverbial tubes. If there is one thing our country won't be able to stand, 
It will be the ocean of goods that we've been accustomed to buying for cheap from China. The flashlights, the doodads, the watches, and shirts, and radios, cell phones, computers, steel, lights, the everythings. That's what America measures itself on. It's buying power. Like the old guy you see driving his Maharani. I don't know what that is. Maybe I meant Maserati on Sundays. And you think it's anyways these old guys driving these badass cars. <laughs> I drive a Subaru and it pains me at times to get in and out. I imagine that the old guy can sympathize. It's the wistful wishes of others that forgets the getting in and the getting out. The longing looks of the young passers-by on said Sunday afternoons that the old driver seeks, the look of want. America is such the old spice-wearing, wife-cheating on, spent the college money on gamblings and only has this lousy sports car to show for it, old guy. The unprepared show-off, the family in the expensive car in an expensive, expansive suburban home, fighting with his wife over buying too many groceries or getting an oil change this week, not prepared, seeing the wrong gaps. Well now, These long hospital stays have apparently taken their toll on what I thought was a strong marriage, and my husband left last winter, after my 40th birthday, after taking up with some gal at work. It doesn't really matter. People say you need money to eat, but you can't actually eat money, I guess. Thank God for philosophy, am I right? But the long and short of it is that I've been left to be the one to take care of my daughter, Shasha, and our large dog, Lucy, and our kitty cat, Grushenka, and our huge yard, and our two-story house, and its insides that, haven't been in, that have been in constant need of repair since moving here in 2017. When I learned to do it all by myself, insert thumbs up. Next stop, homemade power wheelchair. Take that, United Healthcare. I've damn near lost everything in the last nine months, yet my pathological optimism hasn't ceased for a moment, and I've been left with the only things that truly matter, which is my daughter, my dog, and my cat, and my will to live and love, life and love. I've come to learn that these are the only two things who one truly needs to survive. Remember, all things work together for good. And it's also good to have a garden. God has unburdened me. I don't have a husband who is impossible to please anymore. So I don't have to waste my energy trying. Now, I just have my spirit and my daughter, the love of my life, and God's smallest and biggest wonders, like thunderstorms, traveling free fro tree frogs, butterflies, clear winter's nights to reveal the stars, hot cups of coffee at dawn in silence, and of course the good black 
Midwestern soil to support a lively garden, which we are so fortunate to enjoy in our lovely Nebraska. One thing we do need is a home. Our home is too much for me to afford. It's too much work for me to tend its yard and its perpetual little fixes here and there. Too many stairs for me to climb day in and day out. Too many bad memories. While my daughter weighs very little, I continue to get older and what things used to seem light now seem heavy and hard to manage. I guess you can't beat father time, as they say. I need a house that I can buy with my own money, one that no other person or entity can take away from me. We need a rock to build upon our church, even if that church is the only love I have for my daughter. I can't let this ever happen to me again. Never, ever again. Not now that there are two of us. I promise to repay the world in love and generosity of spirit. I don't know you, so I don't know if this is of any value to you. But I know that you too are a perfect child of God, just like us, and that what we sow is what we reap. I will give you all the money that we have. If I can own a house outright, we can manage on child support in a part-time job and making art and doing tarot for people. We can grow our food and give away our bread. I can get my daughter the surgery she needs without worry about how I will find my next job. Upon our, our returns, I can fix it myself and turn it into exactly what we need with sweat, art, and love. I'm so sick of money. This divorce has shown me that money actually is indeed the root of all evil, literally. And so I am happy to give you what I have. I don't want it. I just want a shelter for us in a future with a garden where I can actually stay and see grow what bulbs I plant in any given fall come up in the spring after enduring any given bone chilling, chilling and impossible winter. One day I hope to use the church as a real church and become a minister like I always wanted to be when I was young, before the affliction of fear of not having enough had set in. It's one big flat room filled with possibilities, and that is just what we need. That and vision, hope, and the spirit of endurance, which abounds from within. I send off this letter with the spirit of the expression, if you love something, let it go. Like when a butterfly lands on your wrist and you wish it would stay there forever, but you know that it won't. And if you try to catch it to force it to stay, you will kill it, or at least wash away its wondrous colors which make it so very appealing. But if you don't, and you let it be free, its children and grandchildren and so on may come back to live on the blooming flowers on your porch, and you can enjoy it during a silent sunrise over a hot cup of coffee and the songs of many birds over the many years to come. At any rate, I know the chances are slim, but I've come to thrive on the spirit of adventure and the excitement of chance. 
no matter what you decide. We bless you in this new year, and I accept that if the answer is no, that it simply wasn't our destiny after all. No biggie. It's all good. We wish you the best of luck in your new endeavors, whatever they might be. May the wind be always at your back. Thank you for your consideration and the time you have taken to read our letters. Sincerely, me. Thank you so much for listening and traveling with me through time. I love you. Bye.